Hey, Chris here, co-host of Thin Blue Crime. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. If this is your first time listening, I recommend that you start at the newer episodes and start working your way backwards. We really had no idea what we were doing when we first started, and our quality has improved a lot, I promise. Thank you. So this is a little bit newer, so bear with us, but we wanted to be able to talk to you about some cases where the people committing the crimes are the police. And as abolitionists talk about ways that these crimes could have been avoided. Um, At the end of the episode, we're going to talk about some more recent cases of police committing crimes. But a bulk of this episode is going to be about Drew Peterson. Now, Chris, do you know about Drew Peterson already? Like, have you heard about this case? I've heard about the case, but I'm really like basic knowledge. So I grew up in Indiana and this happened in Illinois. So for me, this was all over the news when I was a kid. Like my parents and I were the type of people like we'd watch the news in the morning while we had breakfast. And this was plastered everywhere talking about this cop who had two wives that were missing and presumed dead. And yeah, so I think let's kind of get into it. Yeah, sounds really heart-wrenching and intriguing yeah it's it'll definitely frustrate you towards the end so drew peterson had a pretty ordinary upbringing he grew up in a suburb of chicago where he was a high school athlete and then he eventually joined the army in the 1970s where he served as a military police officer so a very long history in law enforcement and something that i just want to say right off the bat there's no record of any sort of childhood trauma or childhood abuse in Drew Peterson's life. There's nothing to indicate that he would do the terrible things that he did. Like there is no tragic backstory here. He was an ordinary guy who joined the army and became a police officer. Mm. And how many of those do we know? Right. During his time in the army, he married his first wife and high school sweetheart, and they moved back to Bolingbrook, Illinois, which is where he began his 30 year long career as a police officer. So, like I said, there was no indication in his history that, like, he was going to end up being what he was. But after he and his first wife divorced, he was married four times. After he and his first wife divorced, he dated a woman who did say that she called off the relationship because he wielded his status as a police officer in an abusive and power maddening way. Hmm. Can't imagine being a police officer in any other way, but word. You know, shocking no one. He was shitty. So he worked as a narcotics division officer and was actually even named police officer of the year in 1979. However, he had a history of misconduct on the job and was actually fired at one point for bribery and disobedience in the 80s. But obviously was rehired after. And went on to be police officer of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so no, he was police officer of the year before all of the misconduct. <laughs> that okay. So maybe that like emboldened. So probably during, but we can't yeah. speculate. Um, I haven't been able to find a lot of information on the types of misconduct he was engaging in. Obviously there was bribery and like failing to report bribery. Mm. Um, but regardless of what type of misconduct he was engaging in, this is very common 
with police officers to have this level of misconduct. Yeah, I wasn't able to find a lot of information on what type of misconduct he was engaging in. But we know that misconduct in the police force is hardly uncommon. And a big part of that is that police unions are the most powerful unions in the country. And they all but ensure that police officers are never going to be fired for misconduct, no matter how egregious it is. Like, this is something we see over and over again in, like, cases of police brutality. Like, they get fired and then just sent to another city. Not only was Drew Peterson fired in the 80s for misconduct, he was also abusing his second wife, Vicki Connolly. In interviews, she says that he would often hit her, but not in a way that would show. Mm. And he even threatened to kill her, saying he could easily make it look like an accident and allegedly even bugged the house to monitor her. Wow. And the thing that's frustrating is police make these threats because they know the power they hold in society, you know, like were his brothers in blue really going to believe that he killed his own wife? Or if they did, were they going to do anything about it? Like police kill people all the time and nobody within the force says anything. So, of course, Vicky's going to sit here and think, my police officer husband saying that he's going to kill me and cover it up. Why wouldn't he be able to do that? He covers up other stuff. Domestic violence is like one of the hardest things to address and then add that power to it. That's like the whole thing people say, like Google 40% of cops. And the thing that comes up is 40% have committed domestic violence, which is underreported, obviously. Yeah, because who are they going to report it to? The police? Right. The reality is police knew what was happening to his second wife because she had actually confided in some of them, but nothing was done. In 1992, just months after his divorce from Vicky, his second wife, he married Kathleen Savio, who was his third wife. There was infidelity there. That is what ultimately ended his second marriage. It wasn't the abuse. There was allegedly infidelity in that first marriage as well. So I think that says a lot about how Drew viewed women. But with Kathleen, his third wife, they had two sons. They owned a pub together. They had a home together. They seemed like a very happy family. Mm -hmm. But obviously the marriage was very volatile and there were repeated calls to the police for domestic disturbance. Her family says that they noticed bruises on her very early into the marriage, but that Kathy refused to talk about it. Mm. Ultimately, the third marriage, like the others, did not end because of the abuse. It ended because of infidelity. At this point, and this was years later, they had been together for like 10 years. Wow. Um, Kathy ended up leaving Drew because he was having an affair with a 17-year-old receptionist that his entire police department allegedly knew about. She actually found out about the affair because she received an anonymous letter in her mailbox that said, this is an affair that's happening. Everyone in the police department knows about it and they're laughing at you. Ugh, an affair is even like a crazy word to use. Like that's like, I don't know what age of consent is. Yeah, 17, 17, that's giving very much statutory. Yeah, Um, right. And then beyond that, even just like a receptionist and what was he, he was. A police officer, like he was a detective. He was involved in the narcotics unit. Like he had all of this power that he was able to use on this young girl. I mean, 
we talk about power dynamics in relationships all the time of just like mm-hmm. when the power is so unmatched you just can't consent and this 17 year old girl like she's literally still high school age like I was in high school when I was 17 yeah I was in high school too yeah you're you're still a child and he was like 40 he was like 40 years old he'd been a police officer at that point for full two decades in this community so then you think about like how high his salary is how many connections he has how much power he has compared to like we can call her a young adult a child like with a low salary probably needs the job and then like actual power in the law too yeah that's he had been a police officer basically this woman's entire life this woman and 17 is not a woman that's a child but in this community like that's there's a lot icky about it but like in a community that you have been sworn to protect there was a child that you've probably watched grow up that you're now going to form a relationship with like that is icky right yeah that's especially if it's like yeah yeah there's just like it he yeah he's within the community oh yeah um that 17 year old girl was named stacy and she's stacy peterson his fourth wife but we will get to that in a second so from the time Kathy Savio found out about the affair until her death, police were called to her home 18 times for domestic disturbance calls. And each time they found that there was nothing that they could do, nothing amiss. They were just going to let these just disturbance calls keep happening. Um, during the divorce proceedings, Kathy told her sister that she thought Drew would kill her. At this point, Drew had already married the now 19-year-old Stacy. Body way to tell sure 19. But the divorce proceedings between Drew and Kathy were very ugly. They had kids, they had a business together. Um, things got very contentious. And during this time, not only obviously there was the 18 domestic disturbance calls, Kathy also herself specifically reached out to police, lawyers, and even the state's attorney about her fear of her ex-husband and got no response. Jeez. Like she did everything right. Everything we tell women to do. She told her family. She told the police. She told her attorneys. She contacted the state's attorney. Like she used every resource available to try to protect herself against this man. And no one did anything. She was left completely to fend for herself because police and our justice system don't care about us. They don't care about us. They don't care about women. They don't care about victims. Like, right. they're definitely not going to turn on their own. Right. And the fact that she, I mean, like the bravery it would take to even reach out for help to anyone when someone is that powerful is crazy. And then on top of that, like the bravery it would take to reach out to actually the police when he's within the police, like that is. Sure. Like, what is she supposed to do? He's still a police officer, even after all of these reports, after all of it, like, it's so frustrating. Like the police completely and utterly failed this woman. And it's also just heartbreaking because the way Kathy's family describes her, like she was ambitious. Um, she wanted a career for herself, a family, a home. She was really caring. In 2002, when she, she filed for an emergency protection order against Drew Peterson, 
she actually ended up letting it drop because she was worried about how it would affect his career and his livelihood. And he want, she wanted him to still be able to like take care of their kids. And that, and the way our system works or, or doesn't work is you're punished for being empathetic. Like to, to care for another person like that means to sacrifice yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, she was at the place where she was filing an emergency protection order against this man, and he's still a police officer. Like, he's still going into work every day and collecting a check from the taxpayers. Like, he's still in this position of power. Like, Right. And how does that make any sense? How does that collecting like six figures at that too? Like that long on the floor. We're going to get to his pension in a second. But by fall of 2003, she had a new boyfriend, a new career path. She had moved into a new home with her sons and her family was planning. And this is Kathy Savio. Her family was planning a party with everyone to celebrate the expected divorce settlement. However, Kathy was still afraid of Drew. And on March 1st, 2004, six months after Drew married Stacy, Kathy was found dead in a waterless bathtub. Mm. The coroner ruled her death an accidental drowning, despite the fact that her body was covered in cuts and bruises. And again, it was a waterless tub. Yeah, I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, what can you say? Like, what what was she supposed to do? She was just so utterly failed. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. enraging, but it's also terrifying. Well, and it- it's also like <laughs> there at least could have been intervention there. Like, there could have been intervention at so many different points. The police could have removed Drew from service at bare minimum, taken away his firearms, like put him in counseling, anything. They could have done anything and they didn't do that. So he kills this woman and still nothing is done. Because then at this point, 19 year old Stacy had adopted Kathy's two children that um, she had with Drew and had two children of her own with Drew. Mm. And again, it is important to reiterate that at 19 years old, Stacy was being played upon by this police officer who was 30 years older than her. Right. And like his three previous marriages, he was abusing this woman. Stacy went to her pastor and told him that Drew had said he killed Kathy and made it look like an accident and that she was afraid of him, though she did ultimately provide Drew's alibi for Kathy's death. Yeah. Which, again, she's a victim. She is a victim here. But that's just so heartbreaking, too. No, it is heartbreaking. And it's like, yeah, there's just, how could, I can't hold any judgment because I, you're just trying to survive, like literally trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So that was in 2004. Three years later, on October 28th, 2007, Stacy's sister would report her missing. Drew claims that she told him she was leaving him for another man and 
had stolen, I think, $25,000 from him. But she left behind her children and all of her worldly possessions. Her car was found at an airport. But again, her prescriptions were still there. Her All of her clothes were still there. Like, none of her clothes were missing, except for, like, the clothes that she was wearing. This idea that she left him with nothing, without her children? Without her children? Right. After Stacy went missing, investigators decided to take a look at Kathy's case again because they were like, hey, hmm, interesting that this guy has two missing wives or a a dead ex-wife and a missing wife. That's a little sketch. Maybe we should do our jobs. And so they looked into Kathy's case and her body was exhumed. And a forensic pathologist concluded that her death was indeed a homicide. So when they brought in an independent pathologist, it was determined that it was a homicide. Okay, that was going to be my question. Like, so was someone else was brought in from kind of like outside the circles of this force? Yeah, at this point, the FBI ended up getting involved. Word. That makes sense. Yeah. Not that the FBI is great, but... No, no. I mean, we're going to talk about plenty of cases where the FBI were the ones committing the crime. But in this situation, they intervened because the police department in Bolingbrook was just not doing their job. They were removed enough. Yeah. So, um... When her body was exhumed, the investigation into Drew really kicked into gear. And only at that time did Drew Peterson announce his retirement from the police department. Oh, after killing two of his wives. After killing two of his wives. And I'm and sorry, retirement? That's retirement. not... Um, that's he not to pension until 2016. Until 2016. After his second conviction, which we haven't even gotten to the crime he committed for for that yet so he was convicted and continued to collect pension he was convicted of murdering kathy savio and was still collecting a a pension how do you how do you justify that to the taxpayers you're sitting here saying oh police need more funding you're paying money for a guy who killed his wife and you're the same people that are saying like Oh, yeah, well, we should put people to death. We shouldn't be paying tax money to keep murderers alive. We're paying tax money for murderers to probably have a vacation home with that money. Are you kidding? Yeah. So another important little little detail about Drew at this time is he started going on a lot of media appearance, appearances. Like, he was all over the news, national news, local news, everywhere coming up with all sorts of excuses for why he had two dead wives and all of that. And it was clear that he liked the attention. Allegedly, he was behind the scenes in these news appearances, like laughing with, you know, people on the crew, like having a good time. And like, I get it. People deal with trauma in different ways. People deal with grief in different ways. I think it's a little interesting that this man kills two of his wives, goes on national television, being like, my wife is missing, and then is kikiing with the PAs. Wait, so that that's what he was doing on these was this this was like when the family goes on and like tries to be like So that was part of it. And then he was when he was being investigated, he was like, This investigation is a sham, like my wife is missing, and he was trying to he was just seeking attention. Yeah, I guess get, like, the court of public opinion on his side. Yeah. 
but you can go and look up these interviews. I mean, they're still on YouTube and they're all over the place. Even yeah. like interviews for, I read some of the interviews while I was preparing for this of him just being like, my wife is missing. She ran off with another man. Like that just shows like the level of like no remorse as well. That also, I'm sorry, plays into like, or that makes me think of the broader discussion that needs to be had about the way that the media and policing engage with each other. Because as a news organization, like how can you in good faith let that man, that at that point, I'm sorry, it was obvious he was sketch. How can you in good faith let that man come on your show to pretend like he wasn't a murderer? Right. And it's because the media loves peddling whatever the police told them. Mm-hmm. Doctors are saying, my wife went off with another man. I mean, that's been a big thing, even a little bit of a side note, but with Eric Adams, who's now the mayor of New York City, the... <laughs> our guy. collecting <laughs> cops. They are garbage all the time. I can't think of a single police officer done a good job. I mean, obviously, but like, if I was being objective, if I wasn't an abolitionist who hated police officers, I can't think of a single police officer who's done a good job running a city. No, absolutely not. And what I was seeing on somewhere, I don't remember where I saw it, but that the crime rates haven't like exponentially increased in New York City, but the media coverage of crime has exponentially increased since he was elected. So it's like, you know, I mean, safety is an illusion. So it creates this like fear mongering where everyone's like, oh, we need more police. We need more cops. New York City is so dangerous. I'm so afraid all the time. No, and that's so real. I saw a TikTok of some woman being like, I'm leaving New York. I don't feel comfortable here. I don't feel safe here anymore. And she's moving to like Columbus, Ohio, which if you look at crime stats is more dangerous than New York. But New York is portrayed as this dangerous place because the media just runs with the police narrative of it all. Right. And if we're all afraid of each other, that's like the best thing possible for the cops because then we don't even need them. We'll just police each other. Yeah. We'll do what they're doing to us right now. Yeah. On May 7th, 2009, over five years after Kathy Savio's death, Drew Peterson was arrested for her murder. At this time, he was still collecting a $6,000 a month pension on the taxpayer dime. I'm sorry. I'm just crying in public school teacher. That is insane. Like That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Especially for like a suburb of Chicago in the 2000s. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that is so Taxpayers are paying. Like they're paying for this man who is actively on trial for the murder of his wife. The trial was very lengthy because a lot of the evidence against him was, in some sense, it's hearsay. Like one of the big pieces of evidence against him was Stacy's pastor who was like, yeah, Stacy told me that he murdered Kathy. And they actually changed the laws in Illinois to be able to make that, that admissible in court. Mm. Which is interesting because I think in all of the ways our justice system failed Kathy, after she's dead, do they bend over backwards to try to give her justice, which like Mm -hmm. justice, what does that mean? She's still dead. 
You right. just put somebody in jail We're for like it. only interested in punishment, not in any yeah. sort of safety. Like that doesn't do anything for her or her family. Not that I'm saying that this man does not deserve to be in jail. Like, I don't believe in prison, but also, like, I hope this guy's rotting. Yeah. So he was sentenced to 38 years in prison for Kathy's murder. Stacy is still missing to this day. Drew's defense attorney claims to know what happened to Stacy and believes she will be found after Drew passes away, but refuses to elaborate further and says he's protected by attorney-client privilege. I'm sorry, but what a garbage human. Like, at that point, why even say anything? That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, sure, you can't say it. Attorney-client privilege, whatever. You don't, you don't want to get disbarred, whatever. But to... Yeah, to say, like, that's so, that's, like, the whole, like, let's make this, like, real tragedy into, like, a murder mystery. Like, that's so... Well, and he said that in an interview where he was getting clout, you know? Like, he didn't care about Stacey's family when he said that. Right. He didn't care about the victim's family when you're saying, like, yeah, I know where your daughter is. I'm just not going to tell you. Like, screw you. Yeah. Fucked up. Super fucked up. So, while in prison, back to Drew for a second, while in prison, Drew attempted to hire a fellow inmate's uncle to kill state's attorney James Glasgow, who was involved in his case, in the prosecution of his case. He believed that if Glasgow died, he could win an appeal of his conviction. And he also worried that Glasgow was going to charge him with the disappearance of Stacy. However, the fellow inmate ratted him out, as he should, period, which, like, don't snitch ever except on cops. Yeah. yeah. Snitch on cops every single time. Always. They would snitch on you, so snitch on cops. It's their job to snitch. That's their job. Um, so for that crime attempting to put a hit out on a state's attorney. It's just like dumb. Like, I get you. It's clearly indicative of someone who's had so much un, like... Unchecked power. power. Yeah. The only way that you think that you can get away with putting a hit out on a state's attorney is if you... From a prison. From a prison is if you have just become so accustomed to unchecked power, which is what policing does. That's why these guys commit these crimes. Like, they don't think that they're going to get caught. This guy killed two of his wives, and he he did not think he was going to get caught because they do a bunch of criminal stuff, like, day to day, and no one's holding them accountable because who's going to hold them accountable? Themselves? Only at that point, when he was given a 40-year sentence for putting this hit out, was his pension terminated. So he collected a pension from prison for seven years, 2009 to 2016. So was it going into like his commissary? Um, I mean, I would have to assume. Well, also going into like, he was filing appeals. Um, So it was going towards that, which... That is out here literally being like, yeah, we shouldn't pay people in prison for their labor. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's collecting a police pension. He collected half a million dollars, over half a million dollars. 
So he is still appealing his conviction. That's where a lot of his money is going towards, um, where his money was going towards. He's not collecting the pension anymore. Um, he argues that James Glasgow is an overzealous and unethical prosecutor who intimidated witnesses, which is kind of ironic given his own corruption and misconduct as a police okay. officer. Like he's upset at this prosecutor for being overzealous and intimidating witnesses into testifying against him, as if like that's not something that we know police do all the time. I'm but sure the word unethical coming from him. That's crazy. Unethical coming from him as if he was not fired in the 80s for police misconduct. Like, you almost have to laugh at the hypocrisy. Like, it's not a funny situation, obviously. But, like, the absolute audacity for this man to be like, I am being persecuted by the justice system when he was a cog, he was happy to be a cog in that machine. Right. When, before he got caught. Right. Um, like he truly felt like these tactics were okay until they were being used against him, you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And like, talk about zealous. Like he was proud of what he was doing. But I think the big picture things with this case is every single police officer in Bolingbrook failed these women. And it's unique. Like, the problems in Bolingbrook are systemic. They're happening everywhere. Many women in relationships with police experience domestic violence and are unable to get the help that they need because their spouse is a police officer. That 40% statistic that we talked about in the beginning, mm-hmm. like that's a scary number because okay. as a woman, how do you escape that? Right. I mean, domestic violence is already so impossible or seemingly impossible to escape like even just trying to get out of the situation financially like and then the mental anguish of it all and then you add the power that police have it yeah I don't people I don't know what the solution to that is so long as police have the power that they do yeah but here's the thing that I'm struggling with you know as an abolitionist we can talk about ways that like this situation could have been avoided Say there's no police and Drew Peterson is just an abusive dickhead. Maybe Vicki Connolly, his second wife, mm-hmm. is able to go to community members and say, hey, I'm in this terrible situation. I need help getting out. And we're able to rally around her and she's able to separate for herself from him. But he's also ostracized in the community. Mm-hmm. And some of these other women don't go for him though it appears because when he was arrested after wife number four he was with another woman he had already started a relationship with a fifth woman so obviously this man is very charming you can't ostracize him from the community you can still have people like community members looking out for each other probably better than the police would have yeah apparently yeah and like the only thing I'm struggling with is in this abolitionist world, and I understand restorative justice, abolition, all of it is like a very complicated process. Mm-hmm. How do you still address the Drew Petersons of the world? Because police aren't doing it. Like police are not adequately addressing that type of crime anyway. So this idea that like, oh, we just need better police. Like, no, we don't need better police. We need something else. But I don't necessarily have the answer to that. 
I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is if police weren't existing in the first place, would he be this horrible person? I don't know. He's because he certainly wouldn't have gotten the power that he had. He wouldn't have gotten the power he had. And also, like, I think about like things like the Stanford Prison Project, like when we give people this power, it makes them act in these ways. And like the fact that he was in the army before that, whatever, like, I don't know, just thinking about like, well, and actually, I want to go back to your Stanford Prison Project. Yeah. Because, like, having studied that situation a lot, that's even more complicated because the guards in that case, they did not actually, like, want to be as vicious as, like, they're portrayed. Like, in, in like, media, they're portrayed as, like, oh, they just became these guards and they suddenly became out of control. When in reality, the person pulling the strings of the experiment pushed them to that point which I think is also part of the problem with our policing system. Like I think people go into this system and they don't mean to be these people, but the powers that be the people in charge, push them to that point. The greed of it all pushes them to that point and breaks people. Yeah. I agree. And I mean, we're also like not even talking about the fact that he was in the army before that, like that, who knows what kind of violence he was. So that was during Vietnam. Like, yeah. there you go. I mean, like, th- that's enough trauma to make anyone a monster. And I say that not to, like, downplay anything that he did or to excuse it, but just to be like, I don't know, a lot of times I feel like the arguments against abolition are like, what would we do with these people that are just bad? And it's like, yes. maybe these people wouldn't have been bad in the first place if we have the the systems in place that abolition, like, attempts to create. Yeah, because I mean, thinking about the sources of domestic violence, like misogyny, which I'm sure that this man was a misogynist. I think that if you talk about misogyny as a root of domestic violence and you talk about entitlement, like men feeling, and that's ties into misogyny as well, but like men feeling entitled to women right. to act however the hell they want, like an abolitionist mindset is like attacking those things so that the Drew Petersons never even happen. Exactly. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the keys of abolition, right? Like looking at not what do we do now that we're here, but how did, what did we fail? Like how have we failed that we're at this place in the first place? And policing will never do that. Like, no, I mean, when, when the, the only way in which police are quote unquote preventing crime is that they are taking people, they're like disposing of people who have committed a crime. But let's be real, like, not me arguing for, like, lifelong incarceration or the death penalty, but, like, people are getting back out, and they're even more likely to commit the crime. So at the very best, they're just delaying. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's think about the situation with, like, Drew. Like, he's in prison now, which means he can't prey on women anymore, which, like, thank God. But that's not bringing Stacy back. That's not bringing Kathy back. That's not helping their families. That didn't make the state's attorney any safer. For God's sakes, he was planning to murder this guy from his prison cell. So like, policing was not a solution in this case. I mean, arguably it's never a solution, but like in this case, like what was policing gonna do? What is incarceration gonna do? Like, I'm glad that he's off the streets, but like, how do we address why these things happened? It's also just so obviously preventable. Yeah. Like in the fact that there was just so many I can't 18 calls is what like blows my mind. 18 calls. And 
What's crazy is if that he weren't a white cop, he would have been locked up so fast. I actually wonder that too, because this is a case where like white community, white families, like there's dynamics that aren't even fully in play with this. I do wonder if the same situation would happen if he was a black cop. I wonder too. I think it would be still be more difficult for um, like the women to, but oh my God. I think if it was a white woman and a black cop, yeah, they would grab him so quick. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of where this story ends with. I mean, is there really justice in him being locked up? Like, yes, there's some, but like realistically, if Bolingbroke PD really wanted to find a way to do justice by these women, they would need to reevaluate how they handle domestic violence cases. They would need to reevaluate how they handle review of their police officers. They would need to reevaluate like the misogyny within their community. And I think every dollar he earned from the first domestic violence call should go to the families of the women. Yeah. Every just as a start. Every single penny. From, from all the way back from the 80s when he was fired and should have stayed fired. So one thing that I think would be nice to like end the episodes on is like a little headline of a more recent, smaller, smaller, whatever that means, crime by the police. Before we do that, could you say the names of the women that were killed again, just to recenter them in the conversation? Yes. So, um... Kathy Savio, and she is remembered by her two children and her family, her sisters. Um, I read several interviews of her sisters talking about Kathy. I think I I really tried to find things about Kathy that were not about Drew, like right. the fact that she was ambitious. You know, she was a business mm-hmm. owner. Um, she was really hardworking. She wanted that like American dream white picket fence life. Stacy Ann Kales. Stacey Ann Kales, you know, she was, she fell victim to this man when she was 17 years old. She worked as a receptionist at Village Inn, I think. And people knew her around the community. She also had two children, one of whom was born a daughter shortly before her death. Um, And they deserved better. I mean, even Kathy's kids, you know, Stacy adopted Kathy's kids. Like, how, how traumatizing for those children. Right. I mean, and that's where we talk about, like, the, the police state and the carceral state and how its arms are so much further reaching than the obvious victims. Yeah. And I think if we're going to talk about restorative justice. We really do need to talk about those kids mm-hmm. because they don't have parents. Right. They're our parents, and our police state facilitated them losing their parents. Right. I mean, it's it's state-sanctioned murder at that point. It is. It is. And, you know, you just, you pray that they're able to get the support that they need and that they want. Um, I really hope that those children are able to get, like, good mental health care. Yeah, and I hope that they have found... I hope that they're being parented by someone. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, well, thank you for sharing that case with me, Hannah, and with the people that may or may not hear this. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I was able to share this case. This case, like, was pretty impactful in my childhood just because it was all over the news. And, you know, I... I've been very anti-cop my whole life, but this story, it's, I feel like it's a radicalizing story. Absolutely. I mean, it's just so, and I hope that as we continue this, like it'll show like, it's not a, it's not a crazy one-off story either. Yeah. It's, it, it's a publicized story and there's so many more. Yeah. 100%. And saying that. Maybe we could get into that line <laughs> just as an example. There are so many more. A, I mean, I want to say a slightly more lighthearted case of police crime. Not that crime can be lighthearted, but this headlines from July 13th, 2002. Baltimore police officer conspired with biker gang to sell drugs and guns, prosecutors say. So... I'm not going to read the entire article, but basically a police officer from the Baltimore PD and notoriously corrupt police department was working with the infamous Riders Motorcycle Club to sell guns, drugs, and um, actually collect sensitive information about a murder case involving gang violence. And there you have it. Um, yeah. Cops. And also, no, it's July 13th, 2022. 2022, yes. Um, yeah. He was partnering with this gang to get ghost guns. This police officer also inquired about a case involving an out-of-state murder of a rival gang member and drug trafficking ring. And leaked sensitive information about that case to members of this gang as well as selling ghost guns, which have no serial numbers, so they can't be tracked. As a police officer, dare I say, the police are in fact a gang, so the only thing surprising about this is that they were working with a different one. Yeah, and here's what's crazy, you know, people talk about, like, Baltimore is so dangerous, and, like, don't get me wrong, there was crime there, it is one of the more violent cities in the country, literally don't get when you have police selling ghost guns and narcotics on the street do you think that that might not contribute to the violence in the community and baltimore has one of the deepest roots in terms of communities and one of my cat is scratching at my door one of the deepest roots in terms of communities and like just such a vibrant community and the people of baltimore like i i love baltimore with all my heart steven angelini Steven Angelini, on top of all of that, was also charged and is going to court for stealing about $136 worth of groceries from the local giant. Where self-check out some of the items, but the more expensive items like meat, he didn't scan. And so you know good and well he can afford groceries. I literally can't. I can't. I wouldn't even be mad about stealing from self-checkout. It's just like the Oh no. Go ahead and steal from especially from Giant, from a major yeah. corporation. Like obviously no, don't don't steal. But like 
giant will be just fine, but you're literally a police officer. Can we it's be better? Hypocrisy, but all because he's the same person that would be yeah. arresting someone for doing the same thing and someone who couldn't actually couldn't afford those groceries i will promise you this man has been a police officer since 2006 he has absolutely arrested a low-income person for stealing food there's no way he hasn't absolutely the exact same thing on that note all cops are bastards they're engaging in these systems there is no reforming the system you know we're going to talk about a lot of other cases we have a lot of other cases that are in the works, like mm-hmm. talking about specific police forces, even thinking about the Chicago PD. I mean, I know Drew Peterson's from a suburb of Chicago, but like the Chicago PD, mm-hmm. they have their own Wikipedia page dedicated to their corruption. The Baltimore PD, the NYPD, the LAPD, like at some point we'll have to talk about the Portland Police Union and how that union is how we got to the state of policing that we're in today there's so much there's There's so so much to discuss so we'll be back in what a week with a new episode we're gonna try (laughs) so we're we're new we're we're working on but we have a tiktok you can follow us on if you have more cases that you want to suggest we're gonna have google form linked to that tiktok so please do that there not through dms for everyone. Also, if you like what we're talking about, leave us a review. Yeah. Let's get some reviews. Let's get some feedback. Yeah, Please be nice about it, though, because I can get my feelings hurt. <laughs> if you have bad things to say, maybe hit that in the DMs. You don't have to put that on. Or maybe hit it in the journal. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe only leave a review if you like it. Mm, yeah and you have constructive criticism or like corrections or anything like that please but if you're just being mean you don't have to listen and the abolitionists as your friendly neighborhood abolitionists um meanness isn't actually allowed unless it's us being mean to police don't make the rules sorry sorry it's just the way that it is but that's our first episode so thank you so thank you for listening we'll see you soon